Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods. Putting STEM into every classroom, every day. Well, I'm so excited to have on this week's episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast, Andrew Kaufman, and he is an elementary teacher and an instructional coach in Goshen, Indiana. Works with K-5 teachers and kids. You can find him on Twitter at A.T. Kaufman, and that's with two F's in it. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. I'm excited to be here today and uh, have a chance to talk to you. Yeah, I'm so excited to be able to hear you be able to share some stories with the educators out there because you're doing a lot of awesome things with design thinking, with helping kids be curious, and some different things like that, photography, and, and even weather balloons. So we'll get to all those different things, educators. But first, Andrew, maybe just tell us a little bit about your story. How'd you become a teacher and then become involved with kind of the whole STEM aspect? So my teaching career actually came about from uh, a lot of teaching background from my family. I actually, both my parents are teachers and I was adamant that I was never going to be a teacher. So I actually, went, <laughs> I got my business degree and also with my business degree had a minor in like multimedia communication. So design and websites and graphic design, photography, those types of things. Yep. And I actually went back after uh, getting married to my wife and got my teaching license. So kind of did it backwards a little bit. So I have, <laughs> you know, a good background in business and other things like that, but I really enjoyed the teaching aspect and uh, wanted to do that. So it's kind of an interesting journey, but I really enjoy where I'm at right now with teaching K to five and also having the opportunity to work with teachers and students every day. So, yeah. And I would think that kind of that backwards aspect where you've seen the business world, you've seen what even marketing companies and different things like that are looking for. You can draw some of those aspects into your classroom that maybe uh, somebody that just started out in teaching can't, right? Yeah. It, it, the biggest thing that I noticed from my business standpoint was also kind of like design. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of going into design thinking, but also, you know, how do you prepare students to talk? I think that's one big thing that I've seen in my education from the business world and also now teaching is that really that collaboration piece is huge. Oh, yeah. And we talk about that all the time, but I don't necessarily know how much people actually know it happens in the business world. You know, we can say that it does, but I've seen it happen and I can get kids prepared for that. So... Yeah. And, and we all talk about getting our kids to do group work. We tell them we need to have them do projects together and, and have to collaborate. But seeing that for yourself, and if you're an educator and you haven't seen that for yourself, bring, a, bring somebody into your classroom, have them talk to your kids about how important it is to be able to work together. You might just help those kids to have more reason to work together. And you, you mentioned design thinking. So let's, let's jump on that kind of buzzword that's making its way through yeah. education right now. If you had to describe what design thinking is, how would you describe it to someone who's still only heard a little bit about it? I think the first thing that I would probably say to them is that it's all about the user. Like design thinking is for the person that it's being created for. Mm -hmm. so, you know, one good example would be in third grade when I was teaching with third grade, we wanted different types of seating in our classroom. Okay. So we needed to interview each other and we needed to find out what are people interested in having. And so then from that point, then we 
designed, paper prototyped, you know, different seats that we thought would be interesting. Well, that's what the students thought would be interesting. Well, they needed to do that for their end user, which was the other students in the classroom. It can't just be something they're excited about. So from that point, then after doing that little prototyping thing, then they actually ended up, we wrote a donor's choose grant for different seating available for our classroom. And so that was written and, you know, everything by the students. I had some aspect of that where I had to guide them to that, but yeah. really design thinking is for that end user. It's not for me. You know, you can't be selfish with design thinking, I guess is how I would say it. Gotcha. And it's not just let's make something to hand it in or let's make something right. to, get a, to get a grade. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the thing behind design thinking is that you're making this to be, you know, proposal for other people that most of the time are outside of the school. And really the, the one thing that obviously we talked about collaboration earlier, the one thing that was the most difficult for my students was asking questions and interacting with each other and listening, not listening respond to them but listening to learn what their needs were yeah because our natural instinct as people is just to listen to always say what am I going to say next so even even that soft skill that we talk about soft skills that kids need to have being able to listen and really listen not just hear is an important skill to to learn through that design thinking so now you've even done some design thinking I've seen on your on your blog site on your your website, which you can find by going to andrewkaufman.org, uh, design thinking through comics. Yeah, so a lot of the a lot of kids love graphic novels right now. Mm-hmm. Jason Hubbard and I, uh, who you can find on Twitter at JSN Hubbard, H U B B R D. I'm sure if you can link to him. Yeah, uh, he's he's been on the podcast before as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were having this conversation about you know how can we make design thinking and literacy kind of come together a little bit. You know, we like Calvin and Hobbes. And so we were trying to think, you know, all right, so let's put this in there and let's ask our kids if they have this comic, you know, what can they design by looking at this comic and trying to find out a little bit more. So, you know, it's something that we batted around a little bit and it's always interesting to see what the kids come up with, especially with the graphic novels that are out now, because a lot of those graphic novels aren't just, you know, like the Lightning Thief series or like uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid or anything like that. Now there really truly are like about, you know, social issues that are arising. And so okay. I think the more that kids interact with that and think about what are the issues that come up in these books. And you can use that design thinking as a comic to help you too. So that's just something that we've been batting around. Yeah. Yeah. And and even just you mentioned Calvin and Hobbes. So thinking of a predicament that Calvin is in because he's Calvin and he gets himself in predicaments. And how yeah. can you how can you solve that situation? What could you design to get him out of it? Right. So a lot of the things about design thinking really help to grow from sparking kids curiosity. And you you're a big proponent of helping kids be curious. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I really truly believe is like the the foundation of all learning without curiosity you can't you're never going to want to learn for something Mm -hmm. curiosity really drives passion i think for me especially passion around different topics like we can be really good talkers about one you know topic and we get good at that but really like i want to be curious beyond just Education. I want to know like what's going on in the business world. I want to know what's going on with 
history. I want to know what's going on with science, you know, technology, yep. engineering, I mean, design, like that, that's me. Like that embodies me. I guess if someone were to describe me, I'm like a curious person with everything that I do, a lifelong learner. And I really hope that people can do that themselves. And so that's something that really drives me. And I really encourage that with my own kids at home and really encourage that with the kids that I have at school too. And I would think as, as we teachers share some of those things that we're interested with kids, then they're going to see, oh, you're not just a math teacher or you're not just a teacher, but yeah. you have all these different interests, these things that you like doing in your spare time. The more we can grab those and show them to kids, the more they're going to realize, hey, I can be interested in lots of different things. I'm not just going to grow up and be one topic, one job. Yeah. Yeah, and so that that can lead me into talking about my photography too, and and yeah. some of the things that I do. Like growing up, I never really was, I guess I would say, artistic or, you know, in the in the realm that I would think. Mm-hmm. And that it has happened more after getting into college and outside of college, building my photography skills. But also, like I taught my kids first. I taught myself how to knit and crochet. Oh. Uh, and that was actually something that I did for three years with my uh, second and third graders when I was teaching uh, probably seven, six or seven years ago when we had a knitting shop in town. And so I had read an article about how crochet really can help kids with emotional issues and a lot of ADHD that are having a difficult time basically focusing. And so I had a really difficult student that year. And so I went out and for Christmas, I bought each of them a crochet hook and then made a connection with a local yarn shop and they donated tons of yarn to me. And the owner actually came in and, and did some work with us on knitting. But the one amazing thing from that curiosity that I wanted to teach myself was that the boy that had the biggest issue and actually cried over not being able to do the crocheting because it was too difficult for him. Yeah. Was connect with the other kids in our class and was able to do that by the end and had, you know, such ultimate satisfaction with that. Uh, it would not have come unless it was from my curiosity. Like I read an article and then I was like, Hey, I think that maybe could work. So let's try that. I was going to say, it yeah, seems like something that would, it would really put all the kids on a level playing field. There's not a big chance that a lot of kids are very skilled at that when you start. So everybody has to try it. Yeah. Everybody starts at that, at that point zero. Yeah. I mean, they totally did, you know, third grade motor skills, you really have a, a range of motor skills, but none of those kids had ever done any yarn work before they hadn't done fabric art or anything like that. And so to bring that into the class, you know, was really a powerful thing. And I, I haven't done it for a couple of years, but I, when we tried to do different things at school, I always have that in my back pocket. So origami is another example of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Origami just absolutely fascinates me. And that's not something that I ever did as a younger student. And so being able to bring origami and show them how you can take paper and manipulate it and make these ultimate artistic pieces, but also how origami can be used in science and in design and in engineering and how that all interacts. I mean, we're talking about kids that will never be exposed to that. You know, that that curiosity that I have drives that, I think. And kids may not realize it, but there's a lot of math to knitting and crocheting as well. And, and actually, famous scientist George Washington Carver was a 
phenomenal crochet or crocheteist. Huh. I don't know how you'd say that, but um, yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing though that when I started reading about it, I think there was a white paper actually out of Detroit area on inner city students and having the opportunity to crochet and what that did to their math and also their math scores and also the, just their confidence level and ability to interact with each other. Because like you said earlier, it puts everyone at a level playing field mm -hmm. and then have the opportunity to interact and communicate with each other using shared language that they all learn together. So yeah. I think yeah. it's amazing. And when we have that opportunity to show students what we're curious about, it can really drive their curiosity. Yeah, and you really have to concentrate and focus to get those things to look right. So, hey, um, yeah. another, another thing, again, we're chatting with Andrew Kaufman. Again, you can find him on Twitter at A.T. Kaufman, and that's with two Fs in it. Of course, your information will be in the show notes as well. But I want to I talk about you launched some weather balloons with your students, and what was that kind of experience like? This was a kind of a bigger class project, right? Yeah, so I was contacted by a special education teacher at our high school and had heard that I was interested in writing grants. I was really good at writing grants. And so he had this idea that he wanted to launch a weather balloon. Okay. And actually partnered together in our first launch where we came up with the problem where, you know, we needed to carry a rover. So like a Mars rover or something like that to a certain altitude and, and we had to require you know pictures and all those other things and his uh, students at the high school were working on some biology experiments and then my students were working on design of the rover and from that point we were able to launch our first weather balloon so we launched this rover and we go through the process of of designing everything kids designing with legos and connects pieces and then uh it was hilarious because we designed rovers with connects and I required them to throw it to the roof of the, the ceiling of the room and they could not catch it. They had to let it drop and hit the ground. Okay. And it exploded. They had to redesign it because it was not quality enough because if that balloon were to hit the ground at a certain speed, then the rover would fall apart anyway. So yeah. we need to make sure that that rover is high quality. And we also designed with Legos. Well, what was really amazing is that I had some uh, girls who were EL learners, so English language learners, and uh, they were not very confident in themselves. They were always spoken over by more middle-class students, especially boys. Okay. And so I was really pleased to see that, and I encouraged them that their design needed to continue to they needed to continue to explore their design and they ended up actually having the best rover design and it was voted on by the class because it met a certain criteria of being light. And when we threw it up to the ceiling, it did not explode when it hit the ground. Wow. And so we ended up launching this balloon at our local airport, but we did not put enough gas in and it got stuck on top of the hangar of the airport. <laughs> so we had all the special ed students from the high school, our entire third grade, out at the airport and one thing that one of the kids said to me was that that was an epic fail mr kaufman <laughs> and, I mean, and said that you know like straight face wow what an epic fail yeah so i just looked back at it and was like well we gotta try it one time and let's try it again because the balloon did not pop so we actually crawled up on top of the hangar and cut it down and then relaunched it well it failed again 
it did not have enough gas. And so it actually ended up being stuck in a woods about five miles away. Oh, wow. We found it and we actually retrieved the balloon. It still had not popped at this point. We pull it out of the, out of the trees, out of the woods. It was right on the edge of a tree line. Mm-hmm. And we were able to relaunch it. And once it got up to 105,000 feet, we were able to track it. And it actually landed in Ohio. Uh, around Defiance, Ohio. And the rover like basically worked as best as it possibly could because we could not simulate how fast it was going to hit the ground. Kind of blew apart a little bit, but it held steady and was able to keep the GoPro camera in there. So that was that was a pretty amazing one. We also have launched weather balloons in the past where I had a big fail. I forgot to press the GPS button. And so we lost like <laughs> equipment. But that was pretty amazing because we were able to get our story out to a lot of people in Michigan, which is where we thought it would be. And we actually had a local gliding club that needed to do rescue practice up and use their paragliders to look for this balloon that possibly could have been in the trees. And in, in, uh, yeah, that was pretty incredible. We still have not found that balloon every single year. <laughs> will call me during hunting season because they found it yeah. out in the middle of nowhere but then um we've also had failures before last year we had a failure where we launched a balloon and the balloon was the only thing that went up because it was too windy and we didn't have it attached the right way so then uh, pays a couple hundred dollars more to to be able to launch the balloon again like a week later but that was pretty awesome because kids could see us fail yeah and the thing with with stem I don't care what anyone says is that the biggest thing that kids can learn from is that failure is going to always be a part of that. Yeah. And without the failure that you have, you're never going to take a step farther forward in your learning. Like if everything goes well, you'll never learn from it because everything's good and you can't, you don't learn from always being successful. You learn from having opportunities to wrong and, and to fix those so yeah so uh, just listen to those stories yeah it's it's exactly right kids need to hear about the failures we need to be willing to admit those failures we need to be able to to just try something knowing that it might fail there's a good chance that something fails and yeah uh, that's an important skill for kids to also to work past to to get past those things and and just keep on persevering what do you th- hope that stem education looks like in the future andrew I think my biggest hope with STEM education is that it's happening every day and not as a separate subject uh, that some schools are moving towards. I, I really hope that STEM is integrated in everything we do. So like one of my big pieces of my job is to incorporate student interest with reading and, and writing mm-hmm. and them involved with that content area so that they can be experiencing STEM not as a special but it's their everyday life. I think that's where I would hope that STEM education goes is that it is a part of every day of every student no matter where you live in the world. Yeah, um, and you and you recently wrote a blog on your website about emotion and imagination and how students aren't connecting to characters that they're reading about and yeah. And somehow finding those ways to connect, whether it is STEM or, or whatever it is, but connecting some emotion and imagination to what they're reading is important. Yeah, I think that kind of stemmed from <laughs> STEM. Uh, yeah, good job, Andrew. Uh, so I think the biggest thing behind that blog post for me was that I, 
I look at some of our fourth and fifth graders in our school and I, I just see this glazed over look. And that really saddens me because, you know, you have 10 and 11 year olds that really should be excited and should be curious. Oh yeah. The emotion behind being able to connect with what they're doing in school and not just doing it because it's school, but doing it because they have this love for learning. I think that's really a passion of mine is how do we get them involved so that they can feel passionate about what they're learning about so that that emotion is what drives learning. You know, I wouldn't be talking to you right now if I did not feel strongly about this. And so that drives me to talk to you and to other people that are listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. That emotion about what I truly believe in or what I really have found is interesting will drive my conversation. And if I'm not emotional about that, if I don't find like some satisfaction I probably am not going to, to want to have this conversation. So I kind of equate that to the same thing that kids experience at school. Like what do they really find interesting and what can I expose them to that maybe they would find interesting as well? Yeah. Well, a lot like we were, you're talking about your passions, whether it's photography or, or digital media and, and those things and bringing them into the classroom and showing kids that these are my passions. What are your passions? So turning it around and, and, getting it to spark in their, their mind. Yeah. I mean, that, that spark, that creativity is, is what I think sparks everything. And for me, I can't go a day without making something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. (laughs) You know, I have to be creative in some way. So that might be going out and taking an image and then working with it to make it what I see it as that might be, you know, doing origami or doing, you know, something with my kids like scribble art. Like that was really interesting. I think. Oh yeah. Um, the scribble art piece, you know, is really cool. I actually did that with some second grade. Yeah. Second graders today where, you know, we have these iPads and they're not necessarily creating anything. It's all about consumption right now. Our teachers struggle with that. And I think that that's a struggle that our society has as well is how do we just, how do we move away from the consumption but more into the creative realm of, of what those tools can allow us to do. So I showed them just real quickly on an iPad using the notes app. How do we make some scribble art and how can we add video to that? And how can we add, you know, sound and writing and everything else so that they are the creators of that. And so, you know, that's something that really drives me every day, I think is, is just the creativity and how that sparks an emotion in me. And yeah, I think that's what STEM is all about. You know, STEM really drives that in people. Yeah. And again, like you said, Andrew, that moving from consumption to creation is is such an important thing because, yeah, those devices are in our hands, they're in our classrooms, they're in those kids' pockets every day. And if we teach them to use them to create, to create good things, to create things that they're proud of instead of, oh, I consumed another game. Oh, I consumed another video. Yeah. And, and that, okay, now I just need more to consume. The creation right. allows them to say something about themselves. To Yeah, definitely. I, I think that, you know, when we have the opportunity to expose students to options that allow them to then run with it, when, you know, there's not necessarily a, an end goal, end point, but they can expand themselves and they can make it what they want it to be compared to what I thought it could possibly be. Because most of the time, those kids will take it and make it something that I never thought it could possibly be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kids are, kids are often way more creative than we are. We just, we oh, just yeah. have to give them, give them that freedom to do that. So, yeah. um, right. 
Speaking of, of being passionate and inspired, Andrew, if you could have somebody from STEM, past or present, come in and be a guest speaker in your school, who, who would it be? Who would you want to help build that spark in kids in your school? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, there's so many people to pull from. I think for me, I, like with photography, I think Ansel Adams is a pretty amazing person because of the things that he created, his images without digital. Yeah. That's not something that we do. And I think that's part of the amazing world that we live in is that we have all these technologies, but we have people that have created these amazing pieces of art without technology and so i'd be really interested in having him come in and talk about the process of developing and and how he created the shots that he did in in the time that he did and uh yeah i think that'd be pretty amazing yeah and a quick quick search of google images for ansel adams and all you get is just a whole page full of black and white amazing photography Um, yeah it's it's pretty incredible um just to just to think about you know, what did he do when he, you have to really think about, you're going to take one picture, not 14 pictures because you got a digital camera because you could take as many as you want and delete them all. Right. And you have no, you have no opportunity either in the world of digital now to like, you can learn from your mistakes, but I think when he was doing it, you're printing on glass and you're doing these crazy, you know, pieces of development. And one mistake for him made a huge difference compared to just using a digital camera today. Yeah, yeah, good. So definitely somebody for teachers to, if you got some kids in your class that are interested in photography or taking pictures, look up Ansel Adams and say, hey kids, here we go, look this person up. Um, and see see what sparks their curiosity there as well. Any, yeah. any, any other last thoughts, Andrew? Anything else that we uh, didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about real quick? No, I think that that's good. Um, no, I, I really enjoyed the conversation, I enjoyed, uh, you know, talking a little bit about STEM and design and creativity, and I, I hope that that's, that's where STEM goes, is, is to get kids to be creative and to solve the problems that, you know, we have today, but also problems that might, you know, appear in, in the future, too. So thanks again, Chris. Appreciate it. Oh, no problem, Andrew. And, and again, Andrew Kaufman, you're, you're a great resource for any teacher that's looking for those kinds of design ideas, those, those great ideas of things to do in their classroom. And you did a great job, I think, today of talking about how to combine a lot of those different things that maybe aren't always thought of as connected to STEM. So thank you for that. And again, you can find Andrew on Twitter at A-T-K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N. Check out the work that he's doing every day, especially when he once in a while posts pictures of photography that he takes. It's, it's pretty, pretty inspiring stuff. So thank you, Andrew. Yeah, well, thank you. And as always, thanks again for listening to this episode of STEM Everyday Podcast. You can find them all on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Find me on Twitter at Daily STEM to find out more about the show. And we'll talk to you again next time. You're listening to this podcast on the ESDAC Broadcasting Network. To find more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit RemarkableChatter.com.